Good morning. It's the 10th. I guess I could say Merry Christmas. We're getting to our Christmas, aren't we? We already had a Christmas party for foster kids. Awesome stuff's going on. My, my daughter, she got into the Christmas spirit for when we bought gifts for um, the foster care party. Um, how many of you guys are ready for Christmas? Are you excited? All the kids are like so fast. Oh, yeah, that's good. I love Christmas time. So glad you're here. We really want Whitewater to be a place of belonging, a place of uh, warmth and love, a place that you could call home. Um, and so I hope that you find that. And, uh, and also a place of growth. Uh, I'm excited about later uh, this afternoon, if any of you guys are going to be at the Journey class, I teach 101. Uh, I'd love to get to know you more. But we want to ha- uh, see people belong, but then also grow in faith. So that's what we get really excited about. Today, um, we got uh, some, some big things we're going to cover. I want to cover uh, these things. I want to cover the paradox of the room. I want to share a story with you. And then I want um, to actually have me and my wife share a little bit uh, of our story of a time um, that we've gone through in our life that was, uh, that was difficult. But we want to share it. In, a, in the hopes that it would help anybody that are, that's here today. Um, so in that spirit, let's just jump right in. The paradox of the room. How many of you guys know about the paradox of the room? You guys heard, heard about this? So a room can be designed for a certain thing. It can be designed for a certain purpose, a certain reason, but never or rarely used for that purpose. It can be used for something totally different because a room uh, is filled with what's in it. So this room, for example... Um, I, I, every Sunday, we, we will gather and we'll have our services here. I'll get up and preach or someone will get up and preach and we'll worship. And then, you know, kids will go to children's church and people will leave and, and we'll have our Sunday services. Um, but I've also um, done a wedding in this room. It was like we actually flipped the entire room. Everybody was looking that direction. We did it for Tobin and Amanda. It was during, it was in August. There was no air conditioning and it's cold today. It was hotter than nine hells in that place. I was sweating profusely. You know, I was kind of swaying back and forth trying to stay conscious during it. And uh, there was a lot of joy and excitement in the room because these two lives were coming together and all these people were gathered and the place was decorated and there's all this food and everyone was about to pass out because it was so hot. But it was like, that's what it was used for. But I've also in this same room, not only done Sunday service or wedding, but I've actually done a funeral in here where we were with a family and, and we helped that family go through process of grieving or start the process of grieving and celebrate the life of a loved one. And the mood and there was somber and there was grief and there was loss and there was tension because families have tension. And this room has had all of that in it. We recently sold our, our house and we're looking for a new place in the you know, Puyallup area. And we've, as our realtor has been bringing us to different homes, we'll walk into the home. Have you noticed that uh, a home can have like different smells in it? Very different. We went in one home and it smells like flowers, floral scents all over the, the house, like pungent but it smells like flowers. We went to one place where it, had, it was filled with the scent of cats <laughs> and what comes from cats. And our realtor was like, guys, I can't stay here any longer. We've got to leave. Like, it was like bothering his lungs. And, then we, and here's, the, here's the paradox. We've been to places where there's the smell of flowers and the smell of cats all at one time. All at one time. 
And in this room right now, here's the paradox of the room. There are people here in this room right now, and your life is going great. There's so much joy. There's so much drive, passion. Like you're like, things are falling into place. I'm so glad to be here. My faith is doing well. I'm growing. Like I have relational stuff, you know, like harmony in my life, uh, vocational harmony. My job's going great. Like everything's great. And you are in a room where that attitude might be irritating to some others because their life if they were on it is a wreck right now it's a train wreck it's a disaster and things haven't gone right and maybe it's because of their own decision they're like it's because of terrible decisions or maybe it's just like none of this is my fault none of it's my choice this is just what's happening this is my reality and it is so hard right now and the and, the, and this room is filled with people who are experiencing a lot of joy, some people who are experiencing a lot of hardship, or people that are experiencing both at the same time. It's the paradox of the room. There's this story in the Old Testament, in the book of Ruth. It's about Ruth. That's an unbelievable story. It talks about the reality of our lives. It talks about the reality of the rooms of our lives that fill with joy and heartache and loss and grief. And it's mixed. And in this story, it talks about, I, I think, one of, a, a crucial narrative that we can learn from how to move from loss and grief towards joy. So picking up in the story, um, Ruth chapter 1, the story starts off with Naomi and a, a gal named Naomi and a guy named Elimelech. They're married, married couple, and they move to a place called Moab from Bethlehem in Israel. And the reason they move is because a famine hits and they're like, we need to survive. And so they move to Moab, this other country, a totally different, uh, totally foreign land. In verse 3, it, it picked, we pick the story up and it says, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died. This is in the beginning of the story. And she was left with her two sons. So they moved to another land, they're seeking hope, seeking prosperity, trying to survive. And then her husband dies. She loses her husband, but she still has two sons. Um, and... Um, her sons took Moabite women as their wives. They started families, so things were still going okay, even though she lost her husband. One of, one of her uh, daughter-in-laws was named Orpah. The second was uh, named Ruth. I've heard more Ruths in my lifetime than I have Orpahs. Orpah's not as popular. Um, it might be making a comeback. I don't know. Um, I know Michael Rabb is having a little child. I think Orpah might be a good, you know, need to be considered. <laughs> Um, and if there is anybody I know named Orpah, they've gone by their middle name to me. So um, in verse 5, it says, But both Malan and Chilion also died after living there about 10 years. And Naomi was left without her two children and without her husband. She lost everything. I just want you to imagine you're a female. You're a woman. You've had a wonderful husband who pr- helped provide Safety by moving to another place was willing to take risk. You've, give, you've got two sons you love dearly, and all three are taken from you. So there's this emotional loss. But then in this culture, there's a few other layers that I think are important to know. One of them being that in this culture, women were often at the bottom of the social heap. They're seen as property. They, 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 their, their identity was primarily found in being able to have kids. And their, their legacy was left through their children. And so in this culture, her legacy, her identity is stripped from her. 
She no longer has a future. She no longer has a legacy through her kids. Her husband's gone. She can't have any more kids. She's older now. She is left with nothing. And she's in a foreign land. She's not even in her homeland, a place that worships different gods, speaks a different language, has a totally different culture. And she's utterly alone and feels abandoned. Imagine being in that place. Now, Naomi looks at her daughter-in-laws and says, Each of you should go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you, and as you have shown uh, to the dead and shown to me and shown to my husband and to my dead sons, thank you for showing kindness to them and to me. May the Lord grant each of you rest in the house of a new husband. I'm releasing you. Because, like, in that day and age, being a widow meant you had nothing, couldn't fend for yourself, and, and it was a really desperate place to be in. And so she kissed them, and they wept loudly. They're grieving. They said to her, We insist on returning with you and to your people. But Naomi replied, Return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Why would you want to come with me? Like, my way, my life, my road is now a lonely, desolate road. Why do you, would you want to be connected to me at all. Am I able to give you any more sons who would become your husbands? She goes to like kind of that dark humor, like, could I have any more kids um, be, that, that you could marry eventually? Would you wait for them? Am I able to give you two more sons that could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. Go on, for I am too old to have another husband. And even though, even if I thought there was still hope for me, that statement is just, I mean, that's tragic. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, so she's saying, I don't think there's any hope for me. And have a husband tonight and to bear sons. Would you be willing to wait for them to grow? Would you restrain yourself from remarrying? No, my daughters. My life is much too bitter for you to share. Have you ever been in a place where you're like, my life is much too bitter to go on or to be connected to these? Like, just leave me alone in my misery. Have you ever been in that, that hopeless place where you just don't see any... Hope. You see, loss keeps us from seeing our legacy. Loss blinds us from being able to see the future and have a vision. It blinds us from being able to have hope. When you're going through tremendous loss, the future, the hope that you had in your life, that there, there's good in the world and that there's something to move forward toward, goes away. And she has lost her ability because of her loss to see hope. So she says, leave me because I'm bitter, because the Lord's hand is turned against me. She's like angry and hurt, and she feels like the Lord has abandoned her. Oftentimes when we have loss, when we go through grief, real grief, like we feel, man, Lord, what is the deal? Like you might not even believe in God, but you have that belief like, if there is a God, why are you, are you punishing me? Like why are you allowing me to go through this? And again they wept loudly and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth, Ruth clung, clung to her, held on to Naomi. And Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and uh, to her gods. Follow your sister-in-law. And you'll see in this, in this story, Naomi, when she goes through loss and grief, immediately she's trying to disconnect. Disconnect from people, try to disconnect from emotions, try to disconnect from the ones who actually could be the only ones there for her. 
And she's just trying to push them away. Have you ever noticed that when people are extremely hurt and in pain and have loss, that they try to push people away? Have you ever seen that? Have you ever experienced that? Someone trying to cut you out because they're like, I'm bitter, I'm angry, like, I'm worthless. See, what, what Naomi is expressing is that her identity has been stripped. Her, her worth, which has been found in her family, has been taken from her. So she feels worthless, and she feels like she doesn't have an identity. So why would anyone want to be connected to me? I'm bitter. I'm bad luck. I'm only going to bring you pain because that is my future. My future is pain. Now... After she tries to get rid rid of Ruth, Ruth replies in 16, verse 16, "Don't, Don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not to follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. And your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me and do so severely if anything but death should separate us. Ruth says nothing is going to... Like you going through the worst stuff of life is, is not the time where I'm going to abandon you. I will not leave you. You ever have a friend like that that's just like, I will not leave you in the midst of this. Even when you try to push them away, even when you try to cut them out, even when you try to like stonewall them, they're like persistent. I will not let go of you. Even if you're letting go of me, I'm not going to let you go through this alone. In verse 18, when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her and would not let go of her and would not disconnect, she stopped talking to her. And a lot of times when people you know, would interpret this passage, they'd say, okay, she accepts it and they move on. But how many of you guys know the dynamic between a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law? When the mother-in-law is trying to get the daughter-in-law to do something and the daughter-in-law won't do it, what does it mean when they, she won't talk to her? She's ticked. She's not happy. She's mad, right? Not only is she bitter, but now she's mad because this, this woman won't do what she's asked her to do. I told you, disconnect from my life. You don't want to be connected to me. And Ruth's like, nope, you got me whether you like it or not. In verse 19, the two of them traveled in you know, sullen silence until they came to Bethlehem and when they entered Bethlehem the whole town was excited about their arrival and the local woman, women exclaimed can this be Naomi? is this our old friend from years ago? and Naomi responds don't call me Naomi call me Mara for the Almighty has made me very bitter do you guys know what the, the word Mara means? it means bitter it means bitterness she says, I don't even recognize myself anymore. Am I Naomi? I'm not Naomi anymore. I'm bitter. Just call me bitter. I mean, talk, talk about a downer, right? This gal is in the middle of grief, and she is, she is angry. Have you ever looked in the mirror when you're going through a tough time and not been able to recognize who you're looking at? Like... I see that's me, but that's, it's not me anymore. Like, that doesn't feel like, like I'm not the same person I was. Have you ever known someone who's gone through grief and through loss, and they don't look the same? Like the light in their eyes, their demeanor, their heart, their energy, their spirit. She says, I, 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 the Lord has made me, made me very bitter. She's angry with him. And... She says this in verse 21, I went away full of hope and joy and dreams and a family and a husband and now I come back 
empty. What she's saying is my heart at the room. And when I left here, it was filled. It was full. But now that I've come back to you, it's empty. My heart's it's a room. And I'm empty. And here's the thing about grief, guys. With grief, if you... Um, don't express, you don't release your grief, you don't release your loss, you don't process grief. Now, I'm not talking about shutting it away and putting it in a box and pretending like it doesn't exist and like walling it off emotionally. I'm talking about processing and learning how to release grief and release it to the Lord and be able to be angry and be able to express it, release it. If you don't release your grief, you won't be able to receive the blessings that God is bringing to you. You won't be able to receive it. If you don't release grief, it'll turn bitter. It'll turn to something worse, like an addiction, like anger, something poisonous. If you don't release and learn how to process your grief, it'll turn on you and on the ones you love. Um, That's why some of us in this room have addiction. We don't even realize it, but we didn't grieve something major, a a trauma in our life, and we have maybe an addictive behavior that might even be attached to that, to that moment in our life or to that season of our life. You're like, what are you talking about? I don't know. You have to look back and see. But if we don't process grief, we can't receive blessing. We don't see it. We don't want it. We don't care about it. We're despondent. We just, we won't, because re- we're holding on to the grief. We're holding on to this thing. And so we can't receive the blessings that God is bringing in our grief. And it'll turn into something worse. Now, she, uh, her and Naomi and Ruth come in, into Bethlehem. They stay in Bethlehem. And then um, I want to jump to the end of the story. To fill you in, um, Ruth ends up meeting a man named Boaz. They fall in love. And Boaz decides to marry Ruth, uh, the daughter-in-law. And when they get married, this is a really big deal. He becomes what's called a kinsman redeemer. Do you guys know what a kinsman redeemer is? We don't have that too much in today's language or vernacular. A kinsman or family redeemer is someone when they marry into the family, they, when they have kids, they carry on the family name of the deceased. So it continues the legacy of the family that had everyone perish or everyone die. So he becomes the family redeemer for Naomi. Does that make sense? And here we pick up at the end of the story. It's a fantastic story. You should read the book of Ruth. It's amazing. And I love it's these heroines that like, who, you know, in this culture, in this time, who cares about these two? God cares about them. And their story is an incredible story. In Ruth chapter 4, it says this, the women in the village said to Naomi, um, when uh, Ruth and Boaz have a, have a son, blessed be the Lord who has not left you without a family redeemer today. Uh, may his name, the name of your child, become well known in Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you. You will have a renewal. Like you're, you're not hopeless. You don't have to stay bitter. And you, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to live and wallow in the darkness and feel like, like your, your story is done and it's written. Your story's not over. This baby can renew your life because it's a sign of something, it's a blessing. And indeed, your daughter in law, who loves you and is better than seven sons, in this culture, like, no one says that. Like, this woman, it, you, your daughter-in-law, who's not related by blood, is better than seven sons that you could have, who loves you, it says, has given birth to him. I love that these friends from the village name and speak out 
the blessing of God in her life. Sometimes when we're lost in the dark, isn't it good to have someone remind us of a light and say, this is God's blessing in your life. The story is not over. Your story is not over. No matter how dark it gets and how bad it is and how much you want to give up, that you need to have people in your life or you need to be that person in someone's life that calls out the light and brings encouragement. And it says this in verse 16, Naomi took the child, placed him on her lap, and became his nanny. If she had just cut, Naomi, or cut Ruth out of her life, she never would have experienced holding this little one returned to her. If she had just said, no, I'm going to do this alone. The baby was put in her arms because she accepted Ruth and, they, and, and took her love and her commitment and move, and move forward with it. And I love, it says this, it says, uh, the neighbor women also said, as a son has been born to who? Ruth, to Boaz, a son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed. It means servant. And he was the father of Jesse. Well, that's kind of random. And he was the father of David. Oh. David, King David from the Old Testament. And David is in the line of who? Jesus. You never know when tremendous loss will turn into your legacy. There's no way that she could have known this, but that faithfulness of Ruth, the faithfulness of God hanging in there through the grief and the loss led to this incredible legacy. And I want to tell you guys uh, our story. I'm going to be inviting my wife up here in a moment, but just to to give you a little cross-section of our story, our life, our season of loss. We, um, it's about two years ago, we um, were pregnant, Sarah was pregnant, and we had gone through the process of having the uh, ultrasounds and everything was looking good and we got past that danger time like there's a the first trimester and you get through you know a, a certain time period then it's the likelihood of having a healthy baby really goes up and we were through that and we had already, you know we'd had a, um we, we had had a, a losses and a loss before and and um these these babies were these this this pregnancy was going to be healthy and we went into the the hospital. They did the ultrasound, and uh, the lady's face that was doing it got really serious. And I remember the sound of like other nurses, you know, their feet squeaking on the linoleum, and the smell of like antiseptic cleaner. And uh, and she goes, you know, I'm really sorry, but I can't find a heartbeat. She's like, I'm going to send you to another room and with a better ultrasound. We're going to uh, send another doctor. So we get moved to this room, and we're sitting in there waiting, and eventually. Uh, doctor comes in, does again. They're like, we're so sorry. Um, they put the jelly on her belly, and I can't find a heartbeat uh, for either of your twins. And we're like, what? She's like, did you guys know you had twins? We're like, no. She's like, I'm so sorry. You, you have twins, but their hearts are, are not beating, and you've lost them. In that moment, it was, it's so surreal. The experience was just so weird. It was like out of body Sarah, you know, started crying immediately. My emotions took a while, and I was just processing, you know, like, we have twins? Like, now we don't have twins? Like, it was just so hard to process that and to think of, uh, you know, like the dreams that we had had of holding these, you know, like, I would have been able to hold these little ones and name them and have a relationship. And the hopes and the dreams, just like everything, kind of like falling like a, you know, a house of cards. And... um, 
And it was weird, too, when we were in that room, like, just, they left us alone, and we're sitting in there. We looked around, I think, Sarah was like, I think this is the room we had novella in, same hospital, same floor, same room. It was just so weird. Um, And one of the things I've learned is, uh, our heart is a room. Like, life can be brought in, death can be brought in, light, darkness, encouragement, discouragement, um, hope and joy, and then also loss and grief. A heart is a room. And uh, what is your, the, your heart filled with today? Because I remember back to that moment, and it just started a whole domino effect in our life of a season of loss. And I want to actually invite my wife out to, to, to be part of sharing with you guys what we went through. Um, this is my wife, Sarah. You guys, um, some of you guys don't know her, but she's beautiful, wonderful. Thank you for coming. Thanks. Thanks for coming. Um, and um, I just wanted to, uh, for us to have a time to just be real with you guys. A lot of times people will look at Christians or pastors and leaders and think all their life's perfect or whatever, but we went through a hard season. Would you mind just describing the season we went through? Um, so our daughter, Novella, was about two, and um, since having Novella, I'd uh, developed some chronic back pain, and we don't really know exactly why, but um, we were waiting to try to get that back pain out of the way before we started having other kids, and I saw so many doctors and so many deals and it wasn't going away and so we're like well maybe it will never go away so do we stop you know maybe our our family because of that and we thought well maybe we'll just move forward so um i was pregnant and um we were going to tell our families around christmas time and um and instead of telling them the good news that we were pregnant um it was when i first started going through my first miscarriage and um so that kind of started our journey and um I had already started to get um, maybe less hopeful with my back pain when you're dealing with pain every day. It's not fun, and you become a person that's not very much fun either. Um, and I think George saw the, the worst of those things. Um, and then uh, we were pregnant a second time, and that was the twins. And um, that was a harder one because it was twins and it was further along. I was close to 20 weeks. Um, and uh, miscarriage is often a, a quiet thing, but that thing was more public. And I just remember, too, if, if that wasn't enough going through that, I remember um, seeing a bill on our on our Internet deal. You know how you'd see your money stuff on the Internet. And uh, I guess your prenatal visits are covered if you have a baby, but if you don't have a baby, you pay for those visits extra. Um, and then talking to my employer, um, asking for bereavement leave, and they're like, no, you have to have babies to go through it. So you're like, you don't count the loss of my two children as, as children? <laughs> and so just, just knowing the hurt of my pain, but seeing the world not acknowledge that. But God, God saw that hurt, and you guys saw that hurt. We were, we were wrapped and loved in that time. Um, we got so many letters of encouragement and meals and cleaning and hugs and prayers. Um, I can't imagine not going through something like that without family um, or a church or a faith because um, it's a struggle to, to fight each day in that way. And so um, knowing that I had 
people that did acknowledge the life of those babies um, while other people didn't um, really made, made a huge deal to me. Um, and we all go through different parts of loss in our lives, and if you don't have people, you know, we want to be that people for you, um, whether it's your community group, your friends, those, that kind of thing, because you, you, it's hard to go through those things alone. Um, and sometimes you just need someone to cry with, <laughs> and we will be those people to cry with. Um, and so, uh, moving and forward. The, and on the same day that we found that out um, with, our, with our twins, um, my brother, we, we found out later that day, he had fallen out of a, a building and, and uh, had a, uh, a brain bleed. And so, like, it was just all the, it was just a season of, like, all this mm-hmm. stuff. When it rains, it pours. I don't know if that's true for you, but it has been for us. It just, all this stuff started happening. It was like, Lord, what is going on? And, and you can finish the rest yeah. of that. And so, um, you know, we move forward, and sometimes it's like, I don't know if I want to try to have more kids because I'm still in pain. My pain increased when I was pregnant. Um, and just wanting to go through the emotions of um, hope and loss. Uh, and that was in the spring that we lost them. And then the next, uh, our twins would have been born in November. So the holidays do surface those things um, in remembrance of those things. And then the next spring, um, I'm a teacher, and George came into my classroom, and, and he said, your dad had a stroke, and we need to leave right now. We need to drive to, to California. Um, and he, I, he was close to dying, um, and he ended up not dying, but um, we came back. The doctors thought he was going to die within the first few days. It was, it was very severe. Yeah, um, and that same spring uh, would have been my third miscarriage. Our third miscarriage um, would be the, the due date of that um, that pregnancy. Um, and so I, we came back, and um, I finished up the school year thinking that I would get a call that we'd have to go back to California for a funeral. Um, and so just the weight of... Um, you know, four babies and a dad almost dying. And um, at that point, I was like, I think, I, I think I'm depressed. <laughs> um, and I was like, I can't recognize myself. Um, I got really numb and um, I think hard-hearted. And, uh, you know, George really had to kind of help me see the light and see, you know, what a miracle novella was and that a miracle my dad was alive and... Um, I did start seeing a counselor because I was just like, I just want to make sure I'm okay. Like, <laughs> I'm I'm concerned about myself and who I'm becoming. And sometimes, like, uh, getting counseling can have like a stigma. It's not as much in our day and age, but it, uh, but there still is sometimes a stigma to uh, seeing a counselor and getting help. I, I just why wouldn't we want the like as much help for our loved ones or for ourselves as we can get? It just seems crazy that we want. And uh, so if you are feeling alone, you've gone through hardship, um, one, don't do it alone. Like Ruth or Naomi would, would never have held that baby in her arms if she hadn't received help from Ruth. And if she had disconnected from her, she never would have experienced that. So don't, don't disconnect from people. Don't do life alone. Do it. We, we are, we're, we're not meant to just uh, grieve alone. We're meant to uh, do life with others. We're also meant to grieve with others. But then also, like, if there's a need for professional help, uh, counselors are trained to help. Um, so I just think that's important to, to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but how did, how did this affect um, our faith? Like, how did mm-hmm. you make it with, with still trust and loving mm-hmm. the Lord through this time? It was a true fight. I think there was a lot of days where I just wanted to stay in bed and cry and 
uh, even coming to church, you kind of just start going through the motions of life and getting up and getting dressed and going to work and going to church, I think helped me in a lot of ways. But I remember worshiping and um, the line, um, you know, you're never going to let me down. And it was a fight to sing that to God, to, to really believe that he's never going to let me down through those two years of um, really hard loss. And, um, you know, in our in our case, uh, uh, I, we found out we were pregnant with Wes at Christmas time, and it kind of came full. It's funny how God has come full circle in a lot of these areas, but He often doesn't come full circle. But I still have to trust that He's God, and if I didn't have that hope, what I'd be hard and numb. Like th- that, that I'd rather have hope than to be kind of a shell of a person and be hard and numb. Um, and there's still days where I am more hard in them, and there's some days that I'm more hopeful. And and um, but I do think that um, allowing us to like grieving and being real with God and really being real with people allows us surrender. And there is a true gift in that surrender. I feel like um, even in our relationships, if we go through something difficult with our friends and family, there's a closeness, and there's there's nothing that replaces that closeness. Um, I think the same thing is true with God that. Um, there is a special gift that comes only through suffering (laughs) and it's hard to go through it um, and it's not pleasurable (laughs) but there is truly something that that happens um, to our hearts when we allow God in Um, and there were times where I didn't allow him in and there were times where I did and um, I could tell you what not to do (laughs) and I think um, I think George probably saw the worst of it because I trusted him and I know that he loves me and I know that he wouldn't leave me. And so there's really ugly parts of grief and there's really ugly parts of pain and the physical part of pain um, and having people say, I'm with you. Um, and if you don't have those people, we will be those people. Yeah. I remember from my perspective when we were going through that, I, I, was, um, I learned from Sarah how important it is to express emotions. I think a lot of men... In our culture, and I, I don't want to speak for every male or every female because we're all different, but in general, um, a lot of the males I've been around, maybe because of the way they're raised, I don't know, uh, they will speak in the language of thought, but they, ha- they struggle speaking the language of emotion. And so, like, anger will come out <laughs> and frustration, but, but they won't express it, the, the hurt that they're having, verbally. Um, because they might don't, they just might not have the tools to know how. And when I watched Sarah express what she was going through and, and just cry, you know, I'm, I was more um, because I wanted to get help my family get through this, and I needed to uh, be strong for a lot of different people in my family and my church. You know, you're a pastor, and you've got to uh, you got to continue leading or doing the best you can. Like there's this part that you're just like oh, I gotta I gotta just kind of cut things off and and uh, I c- cut my emotions mm-hmm. off. But I learned from Sarah to like. You gotta express that because it goes somewhere. That that hurt will turn into anger. That that hurt will turn into bitterness. So I had to learn how to do that. And Sarah was helpful. I'm still not perfect at it. I'm st- and I think she's been great. You know, but I think during that time we we uh, helped each other in different ways. Talk about the elephant in the room and continue to bring it back up and not just let the elephant just stomp around the our our, our lives. You know. And um, we weren't perfect in that, for mm-hmm. sure. But that was, that was a big deal. And I also learned that, it was, as far as faith goes, like, we want answers. You want explanations. You know, like, 
why did this happen? Or what's going on? And what was the purpose of this? And God, why? And we can want all the answers, but I think there's kind of the reality that like, if we have all the answers, we don't, we don't need God or want God. And we can, if there's a choice, do you want to have all the answers but not have God? Or do you want to not have all the answers and not have all the explanations but have God in your life and have his comfort in your life? And um, if I were to lose Sarah you know, tomorrow... I wouldn't need explanations. Explanations don't help. They're not going to make me feel better. But the comfort and love of God does. Does that make sense? And I would rather choose that, even though it's a hard choice. Mm-hmm. Um, I love hearing those kids in the back. Um, just a, just a, a few questions before we close. Um, you know, how did, how did you move forward? Um, through, through grief and, and maybe how, how did we change? How did this process change us mm. as we move forward? I think um, during that season I didn't, I didn't feel like myself and I felt like I was an awful wife and an awful mom and an awful teacher. I felt like I was failing in most areas of my life and I think that the, when the things that we do on our own strength are stripped back there is an element of our identity in Christ that if we allow it raises up in different ways and um, to know that um, when we're going through grief it feels like it's going to be forever and that it's always going to be there and we're not going to be able to change um, but I think I had a, um, a different view of eternity or like a more that eternity is you know forever and our lives are short um, but our pain isn't going to be forever um, in different ways um, and that pain will probably always be there and, but it um, that God can use that in in a way that we would not expect, um, and I think also um, we don't know what people are going through, um, and so giving people the benefit of the doubt and giving them the grace um, that we need, and that life is full of good and bad and we kind of take it and be thankful for those times and to be able to look through that um and i think that in life too that when we go through something hard it's easy to compare our lives or be jealous of people or um it might kind of put a finger in a wound in your own life and to stay fixed on the prize and that god is going to meet our needs he sees your specific situation he sees my specific situation and he's going to love us through it Um, even when we don't feel like it or our circumstances don't show that. Yeah. Yeah. And we we also learn to like, in the midst of it, is to like, it's so easy to focus on the darkness or focus on the the hurt, focus on the pain, to focus on those good things, even if they're small. Like like Michael was talking about a few weeks ago, but for us, like the taco bus helped us through some of that. (laughs) I'm telling you, man, you'd like this taco, but we're talking it up. They haven't, they haven't paid us for any advertisement that I know of, but man, they will help you through grief and, uh, and you'll gain a few pounds for it. Um, but like our daughter, Novella, she's two and a half. Um, how do you explain, you know, you might lose your, your grandfather or you had, we, mommy was going to have your, your, your siblings, you know, brother or sister or and you, we're not going to have that anymore. How do you explain when Sarah is just can't? She, she at times like when you're coming home from work, you were exhausted and couldn't like couldn't function emotionally to to help Novella. 
emotionally. So, how, you know, how do you do that? And how do you tag team? And when one's down, you take the extra load. And when you're down, like, they take the extra load and stay patient with each other. We learned a lot about just perseverance through that. Um, that was really big. And then, and then also hard conversation. I remember a, a conversation we had was just like, hey, you know, there's a time to grieve and sit. But you got to get up. Mm-hmm. You know, like you have to get, you have to choose to get up. No one can make that choice for you. No one can make you choose to process the grief and let it go. Because, but we will not receive the blessings that God has for us. We will not be able to look beyond this. We will not be who we should be for our daughter. We won't be what we can be for the world and let Christ shine for us unless we make the choice to get up. There's a time to grieve, but there's a time to get up and start moving forward. And uh, we had to have those conversations with each other and push hard. Like where it hurt to you know to hear or to say those things, um, and then you know you have <laughs> we had a question from somebody uh, you know how do you deal with people that come up and don't know what to say and say weird things like we had people that would come up and say wonderful things we got so many letters it was just this overflow and this pouring out of love into our lives I mean I could read you letter after letter people saying we went through the same thing or something similar we're here for you anything you need we love you like it was just unbelievable the support and in Job the book of Job this guy who loses his whole family loses everything his friends come up to visit him and it says they, they were going to to, to be with him in his pain and, and, uh, and, and Job when his friends they said they met together to go and sympathize with him and comfort him and when they look, looked from a distance they could barely recognize him and he didn't look like the same man and they wept aloud and each man tore his robe and threw dust in the air and on his head it's how they would grieve and then it says then they sat on the ground with him seven days and nights trying to explain what was really going on, trying to give answers. No. It says, they sat with him, but no one spoke a word for seven days because they saw the suffering he was in was very intense. Now, sometimes we want to have answers and people would come to us and try to like have an explanation or say some, some pithy thing that would, you know, let's try to make us feel better about this like large gaping hole in our life. And, uh, and I know their intentions would be, would be good but they would start talking. Some of the best things you can do, some of the, the, the best thing you can do sometimes, just sit and be quiet and be present. Give them the gift of your presence. We don't need words. We don't need explanation. Like the words aren't going to make everything better. It's not going to fix the problem. It's not going to change reality. Uh, you know, and there, some words are helpful, but just sitting with people and grieving with them um, meant a lot to us. I had one guy come and say, well, the Lord needed more angels in heaven. That's why. And I was just like, well, I wish he'd take you as an angel. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I had one guy come up and he's a, he's a fellow pastor and he's like real theological. And he, but, you know, on the, on the emotional end, I think he had some development. And he comes and he goes, you know, like he's really strong in predestination and everything's determined and he's, you know, Calvinist and, you know, I, he, good guy. And he just came up, you know, well, the Lord did this so that, you know, he could bring glory to himself and he's doing this to sanctify you. And I was just like, I don't want to be sanctified right yeah, now. No. Well, if I punched you in the face, uh, that would be predestined too. And it wouldn't be my fault because everything's to, you know, like, so again, put that in your theological pipe and smoke that. Um, and, you know, people mean well, and I know the intentions uh, were good, and so you learn to see, to see the intention and love people, give them grace. 
But it's much better to not try to make a theological point or explain things away and to give the answers. There's a time for that later. In the book of Job, they like to sit with him for seven days and then eventually they start processing together. And, but, but, it, but you need to understand, like, those conversations don't happen on the front end. It's not helpful. And um, anything you would say to, to, you know, those gathered here who, who might be going through pain or have friends who are going through loss and grief, any last, last thing you'd say to them before we, uh, we go? I think um, God, God sees your heart and he sees what you're going through even though it doesn't feel like it sometimes and he knows that and he has a redemption plan and that doesn't always look like we want um, and you're not alone and I think um, you know if you're not in a community group or if you don't have very many people or people don't know um, just sharing your story is someone wants to listen and hopefully not give you advice <laughs> but just yeah. be there with you and advice comes and there's a time to listen to get up out of the of, of the sorrow um, yeah last thing I would just leave you guys with is uh, in Hebrews it says Jesus uh, for the joy set before him endured the cross so for the joy of, of heaven for the joy of, of sacrificing himself so he can see you and me in heaven someday for the joy of seeing a great thing happen he, he endured the sacrifice of the cross I think just keeping that eternal mindset like Sarah said is so important for the joy of the Lord like there's a joy that we're looking forward to in this broken world and holding on to that we can endure things there was the cross but then there was resurrection this room is filled with good and light and encouragement in the midst of hardship and brokenness but we have to remember that the resurrection the power of God will ultimately win and deliver us from all um, brokenness we get to look forward to that day where all things that are broken in our life will be restored. And remember this, that this verse was really important. Um, and I think it's really important for people going through loss. This is in the book of Isaiah. It says, I, God says this, I will be with you. When you pass through the waters and when you pass through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. You will, be, you will not be scorched when you walk through the fire and the flame will not burn you because I will be with you. God is with us in all of this. So choose joy. Choose joy. Choose to bring joy into the room don't leave that doesn't have to go when there's sorrow and there's grief that do, the joy doesn't have to fully leave hold on to christ he's with us um sir would you pray mm-hmm. yeah. lord i know that this is a time the holidays are a joyful time but it also is a time that surfaces pain um, and we all have losses of some sort whether they're physical losses um financial relational I just pray that you'd meet um, every heart where they're at right now. I pray that you would, um, that we'd be real with you, Lord. Sometimes it's hard to even be vulnerable and real with you, that we'd be real with um, people. And in that, um, you'd be able to step in and bring, bring us out of the darkness, that it doesn't negate what we went through, um, but you have hope for us. And so I just pray that you will, um, I thank you that you're the God who saves, you're a God of hope. And you're a God of realness, and you, ha- you went through all the motions on earth um, that you know what we're going through, and we're never alone. So I pray that you'd be with us. I thank you that you're with us. And um, as we worship, if it's a fight to claim who you are and, and your character, I pray that you give us strength to, to
to say, you're my God, and this is true despite my circumstances, and I pray that you'd raise us out of those things, and I pray that if we're in a good season, that we can be helpful to those going through um, a difficult season. In Jesus' name, amen.